Welcome to The Barbell Strikes Back. I'm your host, James McDermott, and Caleb Miner is joining me once again on the show. Caleb, how are you doing? Good. How are you, James? Good. I'm glad to have you on. You know, people really enjoyed the last episode that you were on, you know, talking about boxing and how it relates to weightlifting and hearing all the stories about different athletes and and your insight on training and coaching. So it was a very popular episode. People are like, we love Caleb's voice. He sounds like a very wise man. Let's get him back on the podcast. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. You're you're right. Thanks so much. I appreciate that, James. Yeah, I mean, you've got fans out there now. Are you, are you going to be having a pen nearby, a Sharpie, so you can sign autographs now that you're going to be even more yeah. famous? Yeah, there you go. Left-handed. <laughs> Too. Left, left, left there left you hand. go. There's our segue. Hey, hey. Now, That's- uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about uh, different things on boxing related to minor combat, your gym, because I do the programming for your gym. We do strength and conditioning and different types of functional fitness workouts. And a lot of our workouts monthly start off with a benchmark that is a tribute to a famous boxer, or it might be something in relation to uh, boxing terminology. And what we typically do is we have that benchmark workout. We do it at the first of the month. Then all the rest of the programming is geared towards training those skills that we're testing in the benchmark workout so that by the end of the month, when we retest, we've hopefully improved our score, whether that be increasing our time rounds and reps, calories, or weight lifted. Uh, So it's been a really neat little format that we have going on with the minor combat programming. It's worked very well. We're seeing a lot of results. And I just thought it'd be cool to talk about some of these workouts and share them with the public and share information on the people, again, that we're honoring with these workouts. Mm. Yep. I I can tell you that uh, a lot of the people that are doing these workouts they they love the retest and they love to see <clears throat> how much they progressed from doing it the first time which is always difficult you know any new workout is is difficult that you throw our way um but we have a whole month to to work up to get those numbers better uh than than they were the first month at the beginning of the month oh yeah i mean how does it affect you psychologically when you see the new workout and you have no idea what it's going to feel like. You're just reading the rounds and reps and you, you have a general idea of what you might try to do in that workout. And I list out the expectations and the goals. Uh, what's the difference psychologically going into it cold versus now at the end of the month, you know what the pain is going to be like, so to say. Does it make it yeah. any easier or does it make it worse? Well, I, I think your name gets thrown out there a lot and... and uh and a little bit of people are upset because <laughs> how much pain are I need to face. <laughs> um, but at the end of the month, when you know when we're shaving off time or we're doing more reps, uh, it's always it's. I mean, you you completed something that was uh, you did in the beginning of the month, and you progressed that always at the end of the month. We across the board you pro- you progress on it and it's a good it's a good feeling especially for me i like shaving off time um psycholo- psychologically that that's big big for me and i think for everybody else too 
Um, you know, so for some people, it might be might be more reps. They like doing that more. Like for me, I like um, I like to shave off. I like to shave off time. So. Yeah, I think I think everyone likes to see the progress meter kind of go up. You know, you don't get slower, you don't get less reps. You're able to lift a heavier weight and go a little faster. So mm. it's always fun to be able to see that, and it lets you know that all your hard work throughout the rest of the month, because those other workouts certainly aren't easy, is uh, all worthwhile. I don't think I've ever taken an easy workout that you've ever thrown my way um, in the workouts that you have given us. I don't think any one of them have been have been easy. You know, sometimes sometimes, you know, we'll be like, wow, that was really hard and, and intense. And it's only like a 12 minute workout. And sometimes you'll throw something at us that's 30 minutes. <laughs> it's like, you know, thank God we did this for 30 minutes. If we had to do the other, if we're doing this for 12 minutes or as many reps and, you know, as intense as it is, we would have never lasted 30 minutes in some of the some of the workouts. So, uh Yes, I love all your workouts you send our way. It's good to hit all those time domains, all the different rep schemes. That's that's the fun part. I love doing you guys' program just because I get to be as creative as I want to be. And sometimes it's a little bit of an, an experiment. Hey, what's going to happen? And I don't find out, you know, what's going to happen until you let me know. Hey, I uh, my arms were shaking after this workout for hours. And I'm like, oh, yeah, then that was pretty good. And, and there will be times the next day where I have to teach the, you know, the boxing, the workout boxing class. And there has been days where, you know, we have gains Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and, you know, Tuesday and Thursday is combat. And there, there will be days where um, we'll have a couple people that will do the, the gains class and then take the combat class the next day. And we are always always from the day from the day before of what uh of whatever workout you threw our way but um you know it's gonna it's gonna happen yeah i can't imagine trying to throw punches and work on your footwork and stuff like that after you've just done a workout filled with handstand push-ups and endless amounts of lunges and you're just so, so sore and you can barely lift your arms now you have to hit that pad. I can't imagine it. Well, it, to be honest, there are some days where I will I will go and take it easier, and so I will actually scale down on a games day if I know that Tuesday is going to be a lot of you know push ups or a lot of cardio or a lot or a lot of punching, and then I'll sw or you know and then I'll have to switch and go. You know what? Maybe I'll take it easy on combat and go a little bit harder on games. There, depending on how how my 42 year old body reacts nowadays. That's, that's where I'm at. Um, but yeah, it's, you can't, um, you can't go all out every day, I guess, back, back to back. So, um, I will scale either one on, on either day. Um, but yeah, it, it it's your arms are sore <laughs> for sure. After doing handstand pushups and throwing punches. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with scaling and you have to be smart about your training and you're a master's athlete. And, you know, I'm going to put this out there just before I hit record. People should know this. Uh, I have a bunch of posters on my wall from Masters World Championships and Masters Pan American Championships for weightlifting. And just before I hit record, 
Caleb was admiring them and saying he wants to win a championship. And I'm like, I've been trying to get you into a weightlifting meet, you know, master's weightlifting meet for a while now. So that's, I'm putting it out there. I'm throwing you under the bus, Caleb. I'm letting the people know what was going on behind the scenes. I'm, I'm not giving up at some point in our lives. I'm going to get you on a weightlifting platform for a weightlifting meet. All right. Uh, we'll do it. I promise we'll do it. All right. We'll do it. All right. I just, I just, I, I had to bring that up. Uh, it was going to, it was going to be on my mind the entire rest of the podcast if I didn't just get it out. <laughs> yeah. So what, is, what age is, is masters? What age does that start? Uh, it starts at 35. So it's uh, and there's different age groups. So there's 35 to 39, 40 to 44, 45 to 49. And it keeps making those incremental jumps all the way up into the eighties and nineties. I've been to some meets that have 90 year olds, at them lifting you know whatever weights they can amazing to see isn't it 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 is it's um it's very motivating like i've been to to regular weightlifting meets i've been to national level weightlifting meets and i've been to these masters meets and it's very inspiring because you see all these people of all these different age ranges and it just goes to show you that weightlifting is a sport for life it's inclusive anyone can do it you just have to set aside the time to dedicate yourself to a little bit of training and you can have a lot of fun with it and you can accomplish a lot of amazing things. I mean, imagine when you're in your seventies and you're traveling all around the country or the world, winning medals and setting PRs still and having a good time with it. Yeah. I mean, and you would never think about that at the age of 40, like, you know, I've got to be uh, doing that. So, I mean, look at the, um, I don't know if, if it's going to happen, but there is talk about having a master's uh, division in, in boxing now after the, uh, the Roy Jones and, and Tyson, Tyson exhibition match that they had. That's pretty Which cool. Which would be interesting. I mean, I, all right, I know you were against Tyson versus Jones last we talked, but that's, that's a huge benefit, I think, to the sport to have something like that come out of it and to inspire so many other 40 and 50 and 60 year olds to be like, you know what, I'm going to get off the couch and I'm going to jump rope and I'm going to do some shadow boxing. I'm going to hire yeah. a coach. I'm going to get involved in this and maybe even step into the ring. I think that's a wonderful thing. I do too. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. You're absolutely right. hundred percent. Some good came from it. That is just, get motivated to do anything you know that's that's awesome i uh my grandfather uh, who is now 95 was incredibly active he played semi-pro football and semi-pro baseball he was a incredible athlete um in his 70s he woke up every morning um got he had a flatbed truck and he would go into the city and he would collect pallets and if you've ever collected pallets before, um, you, uh, 40, 48, um, are, are the size that you need to get money for a pallet. Um, they're heavy. I mean, you, you know, you know, people know this just from burning them. Um, and he, I did it when he was in his early seventies and he would pick them up, carry them on his shoulder and then just stack them, um, 10, sometimes 15 feet high with no problem. So he, he had a position, he would put them on his body, on his shoulder, 
and kind of like uh, a push jerk to get it up onto the truck. And he did this into his early 80s and it kept his body physically strong. I mean, he was doing this five times five times a week. Um, and it kept him sharp, it kept his body, body sound, it kept his mind sharp, it gave him something to do. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't bothering my, my uh, grandmother, so that was, <laughs> that was a benefit for her. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that's, that is great. No, that's, that's cool. I mean, like, yeah, those pallets are heavy. I know when I worked retail and you take things off the truck and then you have to put everything away and then you have to get rid of those pallets. Some, some of them are heavier than others. You know, they don't, they may not look like it, but the wood might be a little bit different. So you go to pick yeah. it up and you're a little surprised and you have to figure out a way to carry that thing and go stack them. That sounds like a great workout five days a week. And that's pretty impressive into his early eighties that he was still doing that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it, we were, we were astonished that he was still doing that, but it kept, it kept him fit and, and he, and he, he knew it and he liked, he liked doing it. He was very, very active. And I, I actually, I spent the summer with him and that, and that's what I learned from him. Like stay active, keep moving, don't stop. <clears throat> but the sun rose, he was out of bed. So I wouldn't go down. He just got doing whatever. You know, he was retired, but we were collecting pallets. He was building, um, he was actually tearing down a, cod, a cottage, and we were there every single day in his early 70s, just bulwarking through this cottage to get it, you know, to, he was building a house on top of the foundation, but the cottage had to go. But we were working there every day. And then, you know, after that, he'd go home and mow the lawn or clean the garage, but he was very active and I, and I loved that about him um, because, you know, I think uh, he was in World War II. He was at Iwo Jima. So I think motion is therapy for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. You know, why, you know, that's why the gym is so therapeutic for people um, is it's motion. If you're moving and you're constantly doing something, it's good. It's, it's proven to be very beneficial for you. Movement is medicine, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, so he was he was uh, in World War II. Did he ever talk about any of like uh, in his younger years, like training in the gym? Was he into boxing at all or any other? Yeah, sports? he was a huge box. Yes, he was a huge boxing fan as well. Um, not not really. I know he boxed on the Navy ships. Um, and he, he never, you know, he just said he boxed in the Navy ships and it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if he won a bunch of matches, he just never talked about it, but it, he said he did, but, uh, him and I would always watch Tuesday night fights on, um, it was at that time, I think it was the USA, the USA network with Sean O'Grady and Al Albert, the two commentaries, but we watched it every, every Tuesday night. Uh, together for that summer and you know he uh his commentary was always was always funny um because you know i guess and i don't know the golden age era that they called the golden era of boxing was when he was growing up you had uh the mecca of boxing during that time the 40s the 50s the early 60s 
who was boxing during that time. I know, um, let's see, uh, Raging Bull. What was that guy's name? Jake, Jake LaMotta. Yeah, Jake, Jake yeah, LaMotta. Yeah. Jake LaMotta. You had Sugar Ray Robinson. Uh, you had Joe Lewis. You had, I mean, you had um, Henry Armstrong was late, late 30s. You had um, Willie Pep, Sandy, Sandy Sadler. Um, you, it was, it was really uh, the golden, the golden era. There were so many champions that came out of that that era when boxing only had eight belts too. Now there's, there's so many belts. It's ridiculous. You know, you move up a pound, there's a belt, you know, it's, it's like, give me a break. So how does that happen? How do, how does someone create more championships and does the governing body, is there one governing body and they sanction these extra belts? I'm not exactly sure how it works. When I was growing up, you had four belts that you paid attention to. Um, there was one that was called the NABF belt, and that was for the guy um, coming up, coming up in the boxing world. And that, if he won the NABF, then then you you would watch his next fight to see if he progressed. You, if he won that particular belt. It was a, it was what would they, I guess what they would call a stepping stone belt. And then there was three major belts when I was growing up, the WBA, WBC, and IBF. Uh, those are the three main belts. Um, now it's the, now they've added one called the WBO. So there's, there's four belts, uh, which it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, um, that's one of Mar Marvin Hagler's big, big issues with boxing today is that there should only be one belt, uh, you know, and that's it. And there shouldn't be so many weight divisions. Um, there's, you know, back in my grandfather's day, there was eight. That was it. There was eight, eight weight classes, one belt, and the best fought the best. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there was politics and boxing back then, but, um, you know, it, the best were fighting, fighting the best. Now you can't get, you know, right now we have the 147 pound division and you can't get any of the guys to fight each other. And it's, it's very upsetting for, for boxing fans. You have Terrence Crawford and uh, Spence is the big, is the big one everyone's waiting for. Uh, Terrence Crawford is 33 years old. Uh, Spence is 31 years old or 30 and they haven't fought each other. And this is, I mean, this is ridiculous. Who has the back, belt? Back in the 80s. Uh, well, that's the thing. Uh, Terrence Crawford has the WBO belt, uh, which is a newer belt. I don't think it's as big as uh, what Spence has. He has the the IBF. I think, I think he has the IBF belt and, and the WBC. Um, I don't know how they're sanctioned or the rules on that. Um, it just, it got really, really weird um, these last these last few years. Like I said, there's a belt every time you turn around. There's a new belt for every weight class, and it's just like, uh, right now it almost I sounds it almost belt. sounds like someone gets a belt and then they just hoard the belt, and you get to be a champion for as long as you want to be, and you don't have to fight anyone. Like I mean, shouldn't there be like some kind of a clause that you have to defend? 
your title yeah, within a certain amount of time? You have mandatory challenge. Yeah, that's you have mandatory challengers. Okay. So if you if you have out, you know, the mandatory challenge is this, and you have some so many months to defend it. Um and I don't I don't know. Um that that is a whole other discussion in boxing. I, I really don't pay as much attention to it as I should. Um, if one of my favorite fighters is fighting, I'll watch him. But there is, I mean, there's there's a whole that's there's a lot that goes into into that, and you know, um, I don't follow that as much as much as I should where the where the belts are going. You know, that, at yeah. this point, it doesn't really mean anything to me. <laughs> it it sounds comp, comp, more complicated than it needs to be, and I'm sure it's very political, and there are funds and purses and prize money on the line and everybody's got sponsorships and stuff it, it all probably is wrapped into one another yeah yeah and i think um you know boxing boxing was able to dictate uh, as a combat sport for a very long time their own terms until mma came along and a lot of people moved away from boxing and concentrated on MMA. And, and I think for that reason, I think that that was good for boxing because um, boxing is the world's biggest combat sport. MMA is the United States biggest combat, combat sport. And I think what happened in the USA is uh, for so long, USA has dominated boxing. Um, for a very, very long time. We, we just dominate. Um, but I think that people got sick and tired of boxing and said, let's, we're going to give our attention somewhere else. So I think that, that, uh, that helps. And I think pushed boxing along a little further to say, all right, well, we can't dictate as much as we used to. Let's, uh, let's get back to, uh, you know, to letting fighters fight each other like they should. Now, it's interesting you say that. Like, I'm not really a, uh, someone who avidly watches either one, you know, mixed martial arts or boxing. I did watch the Mike Tyson match just because it's Mike Tyson and everyone was hyping it up. And I'm like, well, I want to be a part of this and I want to yeah. see it just for the spectacle. So and I really know nothing about what's going on in MMA or UFC or any of that. Do you think that people just wanted to see more action in the fighting and the grappling, the kicking and all that other stuff is sexier? Because I do know when I was watching these boxing matches, every time they would grab one another and lock up, I would get frustrated because and yeah. it seemed, and then there would be multiple times where, all right, they would go in to start, you know, you know, fighting and then lock up, lock up, lock up. And it was just happening so much. And I'm like, this is so boring. I understand yeah. why they're doing it, but it is so boring versus if this was so, UFC, they'd be trying to take each other down. My, so, so here's, here's one of the, the arguments that I had against this match is that it was going to get so much attention from from people that again just wanted to tune in and see what was going see what was going to happen, and you have two guys, um, and I I didn't see the match, but I heard, 
Um, you know, I, I'd have to watch it for myself, but I've heard that there was a lot of holding from Roy Jones' side and that the body shots that Tyson was delivering were, were vicious. And um, so Jones just just grabbed and he, and he held, the, you know, pretty much <laughs> pretty much the whole fight. I, I did hear that that was happening a lot. And yeah, I can, that, I can say that. I mean, that if you it, it was. Um, if I were to pick a winner, I would I would be picking Mike Tyson, as someone who doesn't know how to score anything or anything. Just from watching it, I was like, I understand they're saying it's a draw to save everybody's ego and stuff like that. But as someone who knows nothing, clearly there was a winner to me if I had to put a winner on it. And yeah, you're right. Um, there was a lot of grabbing and and holding and things like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's not too complicated. I'm sure you're absolutely right. It's it was it was. I've heard that from quite a few people that Tyson was definitely the winner. And, you know, he was, he was having, I guess, just fun in there. Um, and, you know, God forbid if he landed those body shots up top, I don't, I, I don't think Roy would be, <laughs> would, would have, would have been able to uh, answer the bell, so to speak. No, Mike Tyson was scary looking. Like, I mean, the, I, I kept looking at his face and I mean, Roy Jones, when, when he's in the ring and, and they're boxing, he looks like he's alert. He's attentive. He looks like an athlete who is participating in a sport and competing. So that was one face. Then I would look at Mike Tyson and there was nothing there. It was like void of expression it was his eyes were narrowed and I'm like, this is terrifying the way he looks right now. And in the way he's moving, like he's moving like an, uh, an, uh, an unstoppable object just coming at Roy. And I'm like, I'm nervous for him. If I had to describe the way he looked when he'd just be standing there and staring at Roy, it kind of reminds me of like from the Friday the 13th movies when Jason would just be standing, you know, no, <laughs> no movement in the shoulders, just arms, just hanging at the side just that dead stare and mm. of course when it's time to you know to tee up he'd raise his hands and start bludgeoning Roy in the in the in the, the torso but it was just, uh it was just scary to see him it was just two different two different looking people in the ring yeah and and Roy I, d I don't if if you were to watch Roy in the in the '90s, it was completely different. His boxing was was absolutely beautiful. Um, you, you, it was just his technique, his athleticism, his speed, his reflexes, um, and those everything that you lose first as a boxer, Roy lost. I mean, so there really was he was just you know, basically going through the motions that he learned, um, you know, his speed wasn't there, I'm sure. His reflexes weren't there. Um, and like I said, the last thing to go in a fighter is always his power, always. And, you know, I know 50-year-old guys that I, I've gone hiking with who've completely kicked my ass. And, I, and I'm a pretty fast hiker. Uh, for my size, I can move fairly well. And I couldn't keep up with some of these 50 year olds. They were moving at such good speed. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with this guy. This guy had been hiking for 20 plus years. 
You know, it's just, and it's the same thing with 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 Tyson. You know, that power, that's the last last thing to go. And if if he connected up top with those, from what I heard, I didn't see it with up top. It would have it would have been would have been good night for Mr. Roy Jones. Do you? So I have a couple questions about Mike Tyson here. Uh, first, do you think he didn't go up top on purpose? So he's just abiding by the rules. And he just he just had that restraint to not do it because I feel like if he wanted to, he definitely could have. And I didn't see him swing for the face too often, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just wondering again, what you yeah. think. Well, again, Roy Jones is a natural light heavyweight that was had incredible power as a middleweight, but when he moved up in weight, he lost. His power. Roy Jones did fight as a heavyweight, and he did, and he did capture a heavyweight belt. But the pot, but he never had nowhere. He, there wasn't any way Roy was ever going to be able to hurt Mike Tyson, even at his age that he he was at. So, I think Roy figured that out fairly quickly in, in round one. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, or even as the as the fight progressed um yeah and, and you think tyson had restraint i i yeah i think tyson knew that if he and, and this is this is i mean this is a new mike tyson you know i think i i'm i'm actually reminded of george foreman when he fought ali um you know he was big bad mean george foreman everybody was afraid and scared of george foreman Everybody he hit, he murdered. I mean, he it was he steamrolled everybody. And when he came came back, he was a completely different man. You know, he came back, I think it was 18 years late. He was the oldest man to win the heavyweight championship. I think he was 46, uh, George Foreman. And the last thing that went was his power. He still had that power. But he came back a completely different person. He was he was just uh a different human being, and I think that's where I think we're I think that's where Tyson. It seems to be, he's you know there's that scene in Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dane is is in the water, and he just decides to jump in the water because he's arguing with the the above higher power, and he just says you know what, and he takes off and does his own thing, but he comes back a completely different person, and I think. Hopefully, that's where that's where Mike Tyson is, and it seems yeah, that I mean, way. L Lieutenant Dan had to do soul searching and realize yes. what he wanted out of life and what life could be, and maybe that's where Mike Tyson is right now. Uh, it's funny you mentioned George Foreman. He said in an interview that he believes that Mike Tyson could be a threat if if he wanted to and presented with a chance to win the title again, and that. If, if he did get a match, those people who hold the title shouldn't take him too lightly because they could still probably get knocked out by Mike Tyson. I mean, what do you, what do you think about this? Absolutely. I mean, he still has his power. He was a devastating power puncher. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I would not take, I would not take him lightly. Um, some of the, the, the champions right now are, you have, um, the Gypsy King, um, Tyson Fury, who's a who's a really good boxer. Um, 
I, I don't, I don't know what that matchup would be like. Um, you know, Tyson, his age is, is very, that's a concerning part. That's a very concerning part, but you know, who knows? we've seen things happen <laughs> yeah. in the world of sports. And I think that would be an, an amazing, that would be the greatest comeback that I could think of for an athlete to come back and, and win, win a title. And the heavyweight division isn't all that great right now. Um, it's, it really isn't, um, if you have Wilder, who I think is a really good heavyweight, um, you have Tyson Fury and there's a couple, and then you have Anthony, Anthony Joshua. So those are the top three guys. So, so Joshua, I think, you know, I don't know. I I'd have to see how I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the fight. Tyson would obviously need a couple tune-up fights before he would even even think about attempting to go into uh, into the ring with any of those three guys. If he if he did, uh, I don't think that these three guys are necessarily Hall of Famers. Um, I don't think they're necessarily Hall of Famers at all. Um, so yeah, I mean anything can happen. Anything can happen in, in boxing. You never know. I think that would be an amazing story. I I I want to see it. You know, I mean I'm I'm rooting for him. You know, a lot of I know a lot of people don't like Mike Tyson because of things that he's done in his life. Um, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know. At 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 what point are you able to forgive someone? You know, that's a whole another conversation. At one point, is someone able to seek out yeah. redemption? Um, he does seem like a different person. Uh, I, I feel like if he wasn't a different, different person, he would have gone straight for the head on Jones and just disregarded the rules and just put it away and been like, I'm the man, you know, uh, but he seems to be a different person in what he's trying to do. He seems like he's legitimately trying to help boxing. Um, so I, yeah, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I want him to succeed. I, I, that was one of my concerns is that, my gosh, if he lands on Roy, it's, you know, I, I really hope he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's good that, that, that he didn't. And actually, you know, so that fight is sparking a possible master's division in boxing. So it's doing good for the sport. I actually think mm-hmm. the other fight that happened is doing bad things for the sport. The whole um, Jake Paul versus the basketball player. I think his name's Nate Robinson. I might be getting that wrong. But that was yeah, just I like I, I read about it. It was it was a joke. I was like, this is that one, I feel like that fight, since it's two quote unquote celebrities essentially who aren't boxers, should have been the first fight. Cause it seemed kind of disrespectful to me to have legitimate mm-hmm. boxers boxing in the first two matches, then to have this circus show than to have the Mike Tyson and, and Jones fight. I feel like you should yeah. have just got the YouTuber. Like, why why are they getting second billing? You know, like, I just, it seemed so weird. And it was just such a very poor fight. And it was cringeworthy, I would say. Yeah, it was, I guess, uh, yeah. I, 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 I didn't, I've read, you know, just from what some of the people were posting on the boxing page, like, Basically, what you're saying is exactly what what seems to be uh, out there. A lot of people find out 
through sports, um, a lot of times to the heavyweight division that, you know, they played pro football or they played pro basketball or they played pro something and they step in with a boxer and it's a completely different game. And, um, I, this guy, Jake Paul, I don't know who he is. I think he's a, a YouTube guy. Yeah. You but, know, uh, it's funny. Like that's all I know about him. He's a YouTube guy. I don't know what type of YouTube guy he is or what he does, you know, like, I really don't know. I know he's in the news quite a bit because of antics, but he's, you know, he's two and zero now and he thinks he's going to fight Conor McGregor and he's going to whoop on Conor McGregor. And I mean, I would I, see the thing is like, I wouldn't be able to stop myself from tuning in to watch him get murdered by <laughs> Conor McGregor, you know, because he's absolutely has no chance, you know, um, to do that. But I, I just, it just seems it's good, no, I guess, because I, I it's bringing publicity to the sport, but it seems bad in just kind of like just the placement of the match and some of the antics and whatnot. I mean, is there any place for that in a sport like boxing? Is is any attention good attention? I don't. Well, you know, um, my sister was a big TLC fan growing up and uh, left eye always said that um, any type of attention is good. Uh, any type of publicity that you get, whether it be good or bad, uh, was good. So, uh, you know, who know who knows if it gets, who knows if it gets people interested. It gets people interested. I will be happy. Um, uh, if it doesn't, you know, if people think it's a joke, I don't know. If people are giving it attention, you know, they they must think something about it. They must want to watch it. Um, but you know. Maybe it's one of those things where it's it's good because we're all in on the joke. Like we all realize yeah. it's a joke. It's not to be taken seriously. And when he does fight Conor McGregor, we all know it's just for a payday, which okay, good on him for making money. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, sure. I mean good, yeah. I mean, props to that dude for selling t-shirts and whatever else he's gonna do with his life. I mean, he's obviously got that part figured out. Um, but do I want to watch Connor go all out? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, that's really why I'm tuning in is to see that. Yeah. I, um, Connor McGregor is, I mean, he's a good rounded, uh, number one, he's a good athlete. And then number two, he's a good martial artist. Um, he, he's good. He's, he's a good martial artist. There's, there's no question about that. Yeah. Well, Connor would, Connor would crush him. <laughs> yeah. From well, I, I think I, I don't know. I haven't even seen this guy, but uh, I don't know if I don't know if he has a backstory. I don't know if he's training, who he's training with. You know, when did he pick the sport up? I, I, you know, most professional boxers that are any. I, good. I think he is training. He's just fighting people like other YouTubers and people who are not training, and yeah getting an inflated ego maybe a little bit because he's winning matches quote unquote uh, but he hasn't been in there definitely i don't think with anyone legit yeah well he's two, he's two and oh so well when he steps up in competition even a little bit he'll you know he'll he'll know immediately and i i don't i don't know you know if you're walking in if you're walking into a gym and you're we have to think about this you're walking into a boxing gym and you're a YouTuber, 
and you tell the coach, listen, I, I'm, I'm a YouTuber. And, uh, you know, I, I, so what type of athlete is he? I'm not sure. I have no idea. He just, if, I don't think, it, he, I don't think he is an athlete. I think he's just a YouTube dude. I don't know what he does. So it must cross. It must somehow cross over boxing because he feels like he can box. Um, you know, so he's walking into a, a gym and he's telling the coach, "Hey, look, uh, I want to. I want to box, and people and people will pay me to do it." And you know, I'm sure there are coaches out there that will tell him, "Absolutely, sure, we'll we'll do it." I mean, why not? Um, like you said, it could definitely bring a positive light to uh, to boxing. But so uh, here's his bio on Wikipedia: uh, Jake Paul is an American YouTuber, internet personality, actor, and professional boxer. So I guess they tacked on that professional boxer part. Uh, he initially rose to fame on the now defunct video application Vine. So he was just making like internet funny videos and stuff. Probably he's only 23 years old uh, before yes, playing sir. a role in Dirk man, uh, the role of Dirk man on the Disney channel series, uh, bizarre Vark for two seasons. So he's done some voice acting and light acting and stuff. And yeah. So is it, is it, um, could it be, um, what's his name? Thank you very much. Could it be, I mean, could it be an Andy Kaufman situation where he's just actually punking all of us? It could be, maybe. <laughs> you know, and again, if if he, if he is, yeah, if he or, is, props that, props to him. Right, or is that or is that uh, intelligent comedic uh, idea of we're just so far, we're just so far away from those you know, ideas now that everyone is, I'm a star. <laughs> Let's hope yeah. that. Let's hope that we're living in that world. Yeah. Well, we'll figure it out eventually. So uh, now yeah. let's, let's dive into the task at hand here. Uh, anyone listening, this is how Caleb and I get into things. Uh, I'll call Caleb or Caleb will call me and we have a specific point on the meeting and then some time later, we eventually start talking about it because we just go off on tangents. But I think we've had a lot of good information pumping out so far. Let's dive even deeper, though, into some boxing lore and information and history. Uh, you mentioned it earlier on Southpaw. And one of the minor combat benchmark workouts that I gave you guys was called the Southpaw Shuffle. And it was 12 rounds for time of a seven calorie row and seven push-ups. And it was meant to be, you know, that number of calories, a, a low number of calories and a low number of push-ups to keep the intensity extremely high to try to encourage people to push on those push-ups and really try to do them all in a row very, very quickly, which means you're pushing harder with your arms. You're getting that more muscle, you know, force production and then on the row, just go all out on the row. Because, you know, when you get those bigger numbers of calories, you start to taper off. You might try to pace it a little bit. This was meant to be an all-out 12-round sprint. And 12 rounds, just because, you know, I was learning about boxing at the time. And, you know, you always hear 12 rounds is, is a match. And I know that's different for different things. 
but what is a southpaw to begin with? Let's start there. Uh, a southpaw is <clears throat> so a, a southpaw is there's two there's two stances in boxing. The one is called orthodox, which means that your left leg is forward and your left arm is your jab hand. Your your what a jab is is it's your probing hand. So you probe with that jab to set up boxing combinations. You look for weaknesses in your opponent by using your jab. So if you're squaring off an opponent, you're moving to your left as an orthodox boxer. And if and I'm facing another right-handed orthodox boxer, they're moving with me in the, in the same direction. What happens when you face a southpaw is everything is reversed. Your right leg is forward and your right arm is forward and you're moving in the opposite direction. Uh, you know, you first, most people first learn or hear that term from, from Rocky Balboa because he was a southpaw and yeah, you know, nobody, nobody wants to fight a southpaw. Um, and oddly enough, um, Southpaws are known to have advantages from this standpoint. It's like a it's like a picture, a, a pitcher for a baseball team. Everyone's used to it coming in at kind of maybe the same angle, and now it's switched and coming in from a completely different angle. And there's just there's a lot it's, it, there's a lot to fighting and boxing a southpaw. You have to you have to train, you know. So if you're if you're up against a southpaw um, professionally, you, you know your training camp should consist of southpaw sparring partners. Um, that way you get to learn the movement because it's a whole different movement now. Um, you have to watch out for that southpaw's um, lead cross, which is his left instead of his right. So basic common bunching. Punching combination would be a jab cross from an orthodox stance, left hand followed by your right hand. If you're a southpaw, it's your jab is your right hand followed by your left hand, and it comes in at a different, different angle. Different angle. Um, odd, oddly enough, and I actually, I actually found this found this out. There. Some would say that there is an advantage, and I I fully believe that there is an advantage from fighting from a southpaw stance. Uh, the two two fighters that come right off the top of my head are Marvin Hagler, who was able to he was an ambidextrous boxer, so he could box you from the orthodox stance or from the southpaw stance, and if if he felt somebody was figuring out his style from an orthodox stance, he would just simply just switch and say, okay, well, follow me in this direction. And it would become very difficult. What's that? He would switch mid-match? Mid-match, mid-round, right? Yeah, and sometimes even in the first minute. Um, Terrence Crawford, phenom. He's my favorite current boxer pound for pound right now. Uh, and he may be the greatest switch hitter we've the sport has ever seen. Um, and he comes, he will come out sometimes in an orthodox stance, and then mid match, mid round, just switch. 
if he feels that the guy is getting the best of him from an orthodox stance, he'll simply um, switch to to a right stance. Um, and didn't this didn't, even uh, they didn't Rocky do this in Rocky three against Clover Lang? So that's that's one of the only Rocky movies I've never seen. I've seen one, two a million times. I've seen Are four a million times. I've never seen, I've never seen three. Oh my god! Wait, you've seen the newer ones as well? Oh yeah, of course. Yep, I I've never seen three. Caleb, I'll have to put it on my list. Yeah, that needs to happen. <laughs> I I I'm surprised. Like my jaw is on the floor right now. The listeners, if they're driving yeah, or swerving no, a little bit on the road, I mean, this is a bombshell. Yeah, no, I will. I promise you, I'll, I'll watch it. So no um, no spoilers, but I'm pretty sure that was a what you're describing um it, it being a switch hitter and like switching different things is a strategy that was employed in the film uh to win a certain match so interesting oh okay i i did not know that so south positive and it's it is even been dated back to biblical times the the three top three times in the the Bible, uh, left-handers are mentioned. They're all from the tribe of Benjamin, who are all left-handers, who are all fighters. So there seems to be, even dating back to biblical times, an advantage to being, to be able to fight from a southpaw stance, and be because you don't see you. The opponent doesn't expect or doesn't see that left cross coming. Now, there is a disadvantage to that because the orthodox strong hand is easier to land. His strong punch is easier to land on a southpaw because he doesn't see it coming. So it, it is a little bit of a chess game there. You cannot be in a southpaw stance. Uh, you have to watch out for your opponent's right hand if you're if you're an orthodox fighter and then southpaws are always they're always stepping on uh people's feet not on purpose or they're getting their foot stepped on the tangling of feet happens quite often interesting now you mentioned a couple so this, of names. this workout was for time i believe correct yes yep yes um now, you, and you mentioned a couple I, names in there <laughs> who who is a current day southpaw so we we actually have in the 147 division right now you have Errol Spence, uh, who who boxed last night beautifully. He beat Danny Garcia. He is amazing to watch. The other guy who's my favorite right now is Terrence Crawford, who is a who's a uh, who's a switch switch hitter. He's a southpaw and orthodox. Errol Spence right now is a true uh, southpaw. So a true uh, southpaw those two guys. is someone who doesn't switch. They're just like, that's it all the who time. And then the other guy is a switch hitter, so he's going to be being a little more tactical on what he's doing. Uh, that's And that's that's exactly it. That's Terrence Crawford. He's, he's collecting uh, input from both sides, which is extremely hard to do because you have to collect input. Basically, you know... Uh, Boxing is, remember when you're little kids and you, and you, you know, it, I don't know if you have uh, any big brothers or 
or sisters. I had a, a sister and a younger brother. So we used to like get our pillows and we would like stuff them all the way at the end and then like hit each other with the pillows. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you're faking, you know, you like you fake, you go low and they drop their, their pillow and then you come up top and hit them over the head. So it, it's the same thing with, um, with boxing. You're, you're out there collecting small little bits of, of data on their movements. And then you have to look for an opening. You're st- you start probing with one, either hand, start looking for feints, start, or you can just be a bull and just come in and, you know, if the guy hits you, he hits you. That's, that's another strategy too. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see the benefits of, of a lot of those different types of strategies. Is there a difference between watching someone else's uh, fight films versus testing them out actually in the here and now in the ring? Uh, what do you mean? Well, like, let's say if if, uh, if you have two boxers who are going to fight one another, you know, you said that in, while they're beginning to fight, they're going to be downloading data on the other person's movements. Well, couldn't they have already yes. have watched old fight footage and been like, okay, when this happens, he normally does this. Or is it more valuable just to get that feedback on what they're doing in the current moment? No. So, um We'll go. We'll go back to. We'll go back to Tyson. So a lot of a couple. A couple of things. Yes, that that happens a lot. So other fighters will watch films of guys that they're fighting, looking for looking for weaknesses that that they have. It could also be. You know, it's a learning tool. Fight films are a learning tool. Uh, Tyson had a you know a library uh, given to him as a as a child. Um, as an early teenager of um, fight films, and he just used to sit there and, and watch and watch fight films all the time. Um, I think it's it's good to see where those weaknesses are. Every boxer has a weakness. Um, it's good to see where those weaknesses are. But I think it's different, you know, once it's like, you know, it's like weightlifting, you know, you see, you might see a guy that you think he's got a witness, a weakness, and then you step up to, and then he steps up to the party and you're like, oh my gosh, he's, he just freaking killed it. And I'm facing that guy. You know, it's the same thing with boxing. You go in there and you're like, oh my gosh, it's completely different when you get inside that, inside that ring, because he might do something that you, it's your flaw he might be able to um take advantage of or you know uh be able to see a flaw that you have and you might not be able to overcome overcome that flaw but yeah i mean looking at video footage is good but i think it's i think it's completely different once you actually step inside uh inside the ring and it it's worked i mean it's worked um so Muhammad Ali lost to Joe Frazier because Frazier's trainer noticed that Ali carried his one, I think it was his left or right hand low. And Eddie Futch said, look, if we throw the left hook, we'll get him. We'll get him every time he throws this certain punch. And sure enough, Ali would, th- Ali would throw the certain punch. Frazier would jump on it and expose that, expose that, we- expose that weakness. Saying it and doing it are two different things. Um, yeah. But if you work on it, if you work on it, you know, uh, you've got it. I'm sure 
I'm sure you can you can uh, expose his weakness as well. But yeah. yeah, and I guess with the with the video, it's it's a valuable tool, but it's you're also watching that boxer react to a different opponent, and they might react to you differently based off of what you're giving them, because it's the input and the output, right? That's that's it. You just you nailed that. Yep, that's exactly it. Now, do you? remember this workout we did it almost a year ago january 2019 uh so this was i can't yeah, believe we're I, up yes, on a year. I i absolutely no i uh i remember that workout yep it's a great workout it's it's a simple format but it was tough um and i think it was um i think it was for time i remember i remember uh my time getting better by the end of the month what, what it was i I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to go back and, and check the logbook. I mean, it's 84 calories on the rower, 84 push-ups total, which is a large number, but you're doing them in such small doses, you can really try to battle through, especially those middle rounds, to get it done as quick as possible. Uh, it wouldn't be unheard of to do a round a minute. So on the slower end, you could be done in 12 minutes, but... I would definitely expect people to be able to push and get it done, maybe even sub 10 minutes. I mean, so do you think you were in that sub 10 minute mark or do you think you, you died out and maybe went over the 12 or anything like that, that this intense road? I'm pretty sure I probably went over the 12. I'm pretty sure I probably hit the 12. <laughs> okay. I'm sure I hit the 12. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to redo this one. We're gonna to have to to retest it to see, yeah, because it's been a year. Absolutely, Let's, yeah, definitely put that one. In, definitely put that one in there. That one will come back. So that's Southpaw I, Shuffle. I, I um, yeah. So there is there is one um, El Finito. Is there any way you can look that up? Because I cannot have a podcast without talking about my favorite boxer of all time. If we're talking about boxing, yes. Yes, I, I, I'm looking up El Finito right now. While I'm doing that, though, let's let's chat about Sweet Pea. So Sweet yes. Pea was, was another benchmark workout that we did. And this one was a tribute to Pernell Whitaker, who had just recently passed away a month before we did this. So we did this workout in August 2019, and he passed away in July 2019. Uh, let me just say what the workout is real quick, and then let's chat about Pernell Whitaker. Uh, the workout was four time, 15, 12, 9, hang, dumbbell, power snatch, all done on the right side, then all done on the left side, followed up by strict ring dips. So you would do 15 hang, dumbbell, power yeah. snatches on your right arm, switch hands, do 15 on the left arm, then do 15 ring dips, and then you're doing 12, 12, 12, 9, 9, 9, and then you're done. So a very I think upper body COVID intensive too. workout, a lot of arms, a lot of shoulders. Those dips are going to get pretty tough after doing all of these, uh, these hang power snatches with a dumbbell. The weight was 50 for guys and 35 for ladies. So that's a hefty dumbbell to be thrown around. So do you remember this one? I, I do remember this. I do remember this one. I don't remember doing it. If you'll, if you, if you'll forgive me for not 
for not remember remembering the me doing this one. Um, I was really excited that you chose you chose this workout because Prinell had just had just passed. Um, so what I I'm trying to re I remember was this was this pre COVID because we haven't used the rings since. Yeah, this was this was pre COVID. This was August two thousand nineteen. All right, so we haven't used the rings since since COVID or or the bars. And you know, the other day, Coach Brady had us had us on them, just stretching and and doing you know some some strength. And I, it's been unbelievable. You might have to see if you can do this one over again, because we we haven't been on the bars or the rings since COVID. And that that particular strength for us is is not there. I mean, it's yeah. we just haven't used those muscles. So I I'm saying throw that one in there too, and back in the re, in the uh, back in the shuffle. All right, yeah. Um, if we can if we can get back on the rings, like uh, I I didn't know this. This is a new development. You know, I'm I'm definitely missing programming some of this stuff. You know, uh, uh, COVID situations have definitely made programming more of a challenge. You know, we've been mm. still keeping dips in the programming, but we're doing them off a box because you guys are just, you know, we're not in the gains room because one, the gains room is small. So we can only fit so yeah. many people in there. And then the spacing between rings doesn't really meet, you know, certain standards. And it's just been very difficult, you know. So I, I do wish we yeah, could get back on those pull-up bars and rings. So, yeah, I, and I think, uh, I don't know, maybe you can have us running. Maybe you can have group A running laps or something <laughs> while well, group b does this and then you can switch us up <laughs> yeah um so as far as pernell whitaker is concerned uh i started watching boxing i fell in love with the sport around 1992 which is pretty much at the height of pernell whitaker after that he was started to decline a little bit just because he was got he was getting older um and he was a and he stepped up in weight so whenever I would spar, um, so I did martial arts and boxing, he was the guy that I tried. I'm left-handed, so I am a, a southpaw, um, but I, I'm a switch hitter. Um, but I do, I throw with my right, um, but everything else I, I do with my left. Um, but he was the guy I would try to emulate the most when I was sparring with anybody. And he was so amazing to watch. Um, Everything was just clean and crisp. He was an Olympic gold medalist on the greatest boxing Olympic team we've ever had. Um, it, that team, uh, and he was chosen as the best boxer uh, of that of that team. I mean, you had Evander Holyfield, um, Mark Breland, um, Pernell Whitaker, uh, who was the other guy? Uh, Medrick Taylor, all these guys won gold. I mean, it was an amazing, probably the greatest boxing team ever produced uh, out of America. Um, and Pernell was chosen as the fighter, the best fighter at the, at the games. Um, he was my favorite, to, one of my favorite to watch. He was the one that I would try to be the most. Um, but, you know, he was much better at the stuff he was doing than I was. So I would always get clipped <laughs> trying to pull off some of his stuff. Now, um, how, how does that work with boxing? I know 
like with weightlifting, you can learn a lot by watching professionals lift. But sometimes, you know, when you try to emulate someone's technique, like like it kind of stunts your growth a little bit because that technique works for that person because that's how they figured out how to move this weight overhead and their body proportions might be different. You have to just gain experience and figure out how to move the weight with your body and with your understanding of the lifts. Um, so it doesn't really typically work out too well. I mean, you can, you can practice things, but it might not be your technique trying to emulate someone else. Is it easier yeah. in boxing? Like, like, how does that work out? Yeah, sure. I think that, I think that it, it is, if it's not going to work for you, you're going to know immediately because you'll get, uh, so Pernell Whitaker was what we would call a, a, a cute fighter. You know, he would put his hands down and allow guys to throw punches at him and see if they could hit him. And nobody could hit him. You couldn't hit the guy. Um, so I, I would try to do the same thing with people. And, and a lot of times I would go away with it. Um, sometimes, you know, um, when I, I boxed over at the college, I and I was in there with bigger and older guys, they, they were able to, you know, expose that pretty quick, pretty quick on me. Um, but as I got better, I could still do, you know, I guess it's like, um, you know, someone trying to emulate, emulate a, a certain basketball dunk, you know, it's good. You could, you might be able to get it at the middle school level, maybe even at the high school level, but when you go to the college level, you can't, you can't do it. And that was, if you, and if you try, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get exposed. And that, that definitely happened to me a couple of times, but he was so good at it. It was just, he was my favorite to try to achieve some of the things he was doing. You couldn't hit the guy. And, and that's what boxing is. If you're, if you're true, if you're looking at it as an art form, that's really the, the highest point you can achieve is hit and not be hit. Tag get it's it's a game of tag. It's not a game of trying to knock the person out. It's a game of collecting points. Uh, Pernell Whitaker did not have a high knockout ratio. I think he only knocked out maybe fourteen or seventeen of his opponents. And I and I think he probably had. Uh, I don't have I don't have my phone on. Can you Google how many fights he had? I think he had thirty. I'm going to say he had thirty four fights, um, thirty four wins a few losses and I think maybe 14 or 17 knockouts. Okay. Pernell Whitaker's boxing record, uh, 46 fights, 40 46 wins, fights. 17 KOs, four losses, 17. one draw and one no contest. Okay. So the, the, when you look at a boxing record, you know, his 46 fights, one of the things that you're going to notice is 17 knockouts is not a lot of knockouts, but what he did is he just, he made it a true art form and collecting points. He, he was able to just control the, the rhythm of the other fighter. It was all about rhythm. Those feints that we were talking about, like hitting each other with pillows, he had them down. He had them down beautifully. Uh, he was able to faint, Beautifully. And he was actually a strong guy. He wasn't a hard hitter, but he was a physically strong guy. You it, Fighters 
found it hard to kind of muscle him around. Um, but I found it odd that he didn't have a high knockout ratio. They couldn't find him for one. Um, but yes, he's definitely he's a, one of my like favorites. He's a pretty small guy at five, six in the lightweight. Yeah, but he's built. He's, he was thick. Yeah, thick, very fast, beautiful, beautiful speed. Footwork was amazing. Uh, offense, uh, office and deep. His offense and defense were were incredible. That that one that you see that's called the draw. That draw was against Julio Cesar Chavez, and it it's gone down as one of boxing biggest robberies. Uh, it should have went to Pernell Whitaker, uh, but it was declared a draw. Pernell Whitaker had a few fights that he should have won. I believe he beat Oscar De La Hoya. He landed a hundred more punches on De La Hoya than De La Hoya did to him. Um, and he, lo- he lost that fight. I thought he won that fight. Um, there was another another fight that was uh, taken away from him that the majority of fans believe that he won. And then there was the Julio Cesar Chavez draw here that really should be a, really should be a win. And what about this no contest? Like what? I, I don't know. Draw, I don't know. But I don't know what a no contest is. So a no contest is is that maybe both fighters started in you know in the first two or three rounds and maybe it was an accidental headbutt. Oh, you know what it was? Uh, I it might have been he. I think he got in, he injured his arm and in, in a match, and it was declared a no contest. So neither fighter wins. Okay. So if one if one fighter can't continue because of means outside of what was done to them by their opponent. So they weren't knocked out. They weren't, you know, winded or anything like that. It's just, maybe they fell in the ring or something crazy, like a, a accidental headbutt. Happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Accidental headbutt. Um, you know, sometimes they'll go to the, the score cards, but yeah, that makes sense. Now that workout, I, I want, I would love to redo that workout. So, <laughs> we're we're gonna bring. I feel like by the time we're done with this, we're gonna bring back all these workouts. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, they're great workouts. Like I mean, this was a this was a fun one. It's an easy one to scale and modify. It's very obtainable. But those strict ring dips will certainly catch up with you, and it's just a whole blow on the upper body. So it's it's uh it's funny you said that. You know, Pernell Whitaker was built. You know, he probably had a lot of muscles and had a built upper body. Well, this will definitely help you get there. Mm. Yeah, he was, he was thick. Um, He, I, I, I think he was just a, he had a strong upper body and I, and I, that was a perfect, uh, perfect workout to, to what, uh, to, to him. Well, let's talk about your favorite now. And actually, before we do that, before we talk about El Finito, you know, we talked about Sweet Pea, and now we're talking about El Finito. And these are the nicknames of these boxers that I mm-hmm. use to name their tribute workouts. Boxing seems like a very unique sport in the sense that it has nicknames like that. Where where did that start? You know, why is that a thing in that sport? Like weightlifters don't have nicknames. You know? <laughs> Uh, although that would be that would be super cool if like some of these pro weightlifters had nicknames and maybe they do and I just don't know. But um, where did this start and why is it a thing in boxing? 
I, I, I could not tell you. My, my guess would be, um, you know, dating all the John L. Sullivan, who was from Massachusetts, was the first heavyweight uh, boxing champion. And I think if you if you, if you Google his name real quick, I. So I'm trying to remember his nickname. I think it dates back even to What's the first heavyweight champion. Um, I don't know. No, I mean, what, what's his actual name? You know, John L. Sullivan is his name. Um, I don't know what his nickname um, was, but I, th I know he had one. Um, or he had a famous saying, um, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali was known as the Louisville Lip. Um, it, it, okay, so John Lawrence Sullivan, known simply as John L. among his admirers and dubbed the Boston Strong Boy by the press. That's it, right there. Right. So the media. The Boston Strong Boy. Yep. Yeah, so the media, and I think, I know Muhammad Ali in that era, in that era, uh, wrestling was really big. And, and a lot of times they, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, actually, all his antics were from of his favorite childhood wrestling guys. Uh, growing up uh i think the guy's name was gorgeous george or something along the lines like that yeah and ali's nickname was the greatest which it's a pretty <laughs> pretty self-explanatory nickname you the greatest the louisville lip yeah he had a bunch of <laughs> yeah it surprises me that some of these guys have multiple nicknames like when i was looking up roy jones i saw that he was you know, called Captain Hook, but he's also called Superman, you know? So it's like, it's just interesting that they have yeah. so many nicknames. It almost reminds me of, I don't know if you watched the show when it was coming out, uh, Game of Thrones, where every time they would mm. announce someone in royalty, they would announce all of their titles over and over. And they would have a long list of titles, you know, to their name, because they're the Lord of this province and the King or Queen of this kingdom. And the leader of this group, you know, so it just all gets said when they're announced to a room. That's what it kind of reminds me of. Yeah. yeah. That would only be, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's pretty cool. Now, Pernell Whitaker got his name from, um, his name is, was Pete, um, something along Pete. And then some, someone heard it and it was an accident. Uh, they thought it was Pete and, someone printed p and they said he's he's sweet pete and someone said no sweet p sweet p so he he got his name accidentally and that and the, that that's exact i mean that nickname just fit who he was uh as a boxer and it, that one i know was was by an accident i'm pretty sure uh how he got his nickname but i don't know that would be cool i'd love to see i'd love to see some of these weightlifters just come out with with nicknames you know, like, or some of these bodybuilders, like Ron Coleman. How does Ron Coleman not have a nickname? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe he does and we, we just don't know. But I think it would be a, a funny, interesting thing to add to the sport. But I guess it seems like some of these nicknames in boxing comes from printed press and people reporting on things and, and kind of like donning them with that name. Weightlifting, unfortunately, doesn't get that kind of press. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. 
you guys need uh you know the a bad boy to get that price well we you had him at you had him at the gym we we had his um seminar yeah yeah i mean i'm well i mean actually you know what now that you're sparking my brain there are some nicknames out there uh they're just not like not announced when someone's lifting you know <laughs> like uh, uh there's there's a there's a weightlifter his name is donnie shankle and he's universally known as um the uh the lion killer and at mm -hmm. one point uh john north had a nickname uh jumping jonathan north but because jumping of like the, the style and some of his his antics when he would come oh. out to the platform but that that has since faded away no one really refers to him as that anymore but donnie shankle's nickname still holds true um on the lion killer so he definitely has the coolest nickname in weightlifting probably that's a pretty cool name the lion killer i mean i i wouldn't want to when you go up against a guy lifting weights named the line killer <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's I, pretty his, intimidating um, yeah well, well one of his quotes is you know you have to pull on the bar you know when you're doing a clean like try to pull under it violently like you're ripping the head off of a lion and so he's oh he's the lion killer gotcha that's that's cool yeah so el finito Let's talk we're about El Finito. We have to give you a nickname. We uh, have, have to figure out a nickname for you. I'm not sure if I'm worthy of you one. Yeah, well, we're, we'll give you one. There's there's lots of boxers that have crappy, shitty nicknames that <laughs> definitely weren't worthy of one, but they, they got one anyways. That's saying that you're... Probably, you're I, I, wonder, I wonder if any boxers were like, man, I really wish I had a cool nickname. So they like sent messages out like trying to like stoke the fires of this cool nickname only to have it backfired and have people misunderstand it and call them something else you know like uh, like someone's like i want to oh be the terminator God. and they're like oh the exterminator and like no no no, no terminator not exterminator yeah. you know something yeah, like that that would be fun. i'm sure that's happened probably so el finito all right so by the end, by the end of this we'll have to think of at least one yeah I actually have you in my phone. Here it is. I have you in my phone as the mighty Adam. The what? The mighty Adam. The mighty Adam. The mighty Adam. There you go. There it is. is. That, that is that um A A T O M Adam. Adam? Yeah, after the comic book. Uh, oh, okay. Very He's cool. the one. So the DC comic, uh, the Mighty Adam, he's he's the smallest of them all, but he's he's just as powerful as Superman. He's he's has an incredible amount of power, but he's he's, he's the smallest uh, character. That's that's who I have. I'll, I'll take it. Comments. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially there you if go. I get to be as, as strong Adam. as powerful yeah. as, as Superman. Yeah. It's not it's i mean hey it's it's not it's, it's not the size that matters it's how you use it so that, that's it all right el finito caleb okay el finito five rounds for time of 10 alternating pistols 20 alternating dumbbell squat snatches 35 for guys 20 for ladies and 30 double unders so just an, a, a very high-skilled 
workout because you need skill to do those double unders. Pistols are not easy. And it's, a, it's 50 pistols, which is a relatively low number of pistols. Since you're alternating, it's five per leg. But pairing that with the dumbbell squat snatches, alternating hands and having to pace that and just enduring that with your legs and still being able to jump after 10 pistols and 20 squat snatches after five rounds. That's, that's uh, it's a lot. Uh, so let's talk about El Finito. Uh, does this workout fit your favorite boxer? Uh, well, I know that my legs were smoked after this workout. Um, yes, as far as far as the intensity and what you would have to. Uh, so this this workout is a is a learning what a learning curve because you have like you said you have to, in order to do a pistol squat and do them and do them with integrity. You know, a normal person, even, even a physically fit person is going to struggle with a pistol squat. Uh, and then doing that jumping into double unders, um, which takes, you know, it takes skill to, to do, to do double unders and do them and do them accurately. Absolutely. So, uh, Ricardo Lopez is by far my favorite boxer of all time. Um, there are some disadvantages and advantages to, to why that is the, the, re, you know, most people have never heard of this guy. He weighed 105 pounds. So he fought in a division, uh, as a straw weight in the 105 pound division, which is, it's a newer boxing weight class. Um, I remember the first time watching him and I could not believe what I was watching. He is, if you were to take, if, if you were to sculpt the perfect boxer, um, he would be it. His technique is the most beautiful technique I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, he, he gets a bad, he gets a bad, name attached because there weren't a lot of big names in his weight division um for him you know he didn't he didn't have a lot of big names that really didn't matter to me because of how beautifully he executed the sport he was uh you know there's stories of him that he just worked on one punch alone for months and that was it he went into the gym and he worked on one punch for months and and then once he felt he had that mastered then he would move on to another punch uh, and then once he felt he had that mastered then he would move on to footwork but he would only progress if he felt he had sort of you know mastered it can be different things a million different ways but mastered master what he was doing um always never a shit talker never never saying anything negative about any of the fighters he ever uh was facing um a absolute ring gentleman gentleman inside the ring no never any dirty blows never complaining about anything um i watched him get dropped once and you know he got up and acknowledged i got dropped you know um which which was amazing it, he never lost the fight and it wasn't 
if you were fighting him, you knew you were going to lose. There was no question about it. If if you won a round on him, that was amazing. I mean, you were if you were if you were watching him, you were just watching to see if the other guy could possibly win even a minute in there with him. Um, and he was ferocious, an absolutely ferocious finisher. A lot of knockouts. Um, it, I think I personally think he's the greatest uh, fighter to come out of Mexico. Um, and there are that's that's seems to be the the current way it's going. But because he didn't have a lot of big names on his resume, the competition wasn't that good. But I think just from a strictly um, I think just from a strictly artistic style, he's the greatest I, I personally have ever seen in my life. So if anybody's listening, check check him out. You know, and, yeah, and I've, I I've had some, people. Like that. I want to see some some videos, you know, and I'm, I'm reading here that he's five foot five. So that's that's how tall I am. But he weighs mm-hmm. or weighed at, you know, when he was fighting one hundred and five pounds. I can't imagine being 105 pounds. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly wouldn't, don't think I'd be able to lift any weights, but like, I just can't imagine that. Like, what is, that's 48 kilos. Like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. weighing 48 kilos and uh, and doing what I'm doing now. That's incredible. At five, right, at 5'5". Five, five. Uh, if you watch any of his matches, one of the things that you'll notice, even how powerful he is, um, you know, even, even, you know, you'll hear a, you hear, you will hear a puncher's, uh, shots against an opponent. They just sound different and you can hear his shots on, on opponents. Um, that's how hard, that's how hard he was able to, to, to hit. Um, but yes, he is, he's my favorite, um, He's, a, he's now a motivational speaker uh, in Mexico. So he goes around in Mexico and, and uh, does motivational speeches um, for, for people. That'd be cool if he came uh, to the States to go see uh, one of those speeches. Oh, I absolutely love to. Uh, and, it's, it, and for him, it just boils down to hard work. That's basically, you know, look, you got to work. That's You got to work for it. There's no, there's no easy way around it. You, you gotta work for it. You know, like we've, we've talked about so many different boxers, and I bet they would all excel. But I kind of feel like he would be a good candidate to be the one to be the best weightlifter. Like if, if one was going to transition to another sport, or would have just fallen into a different category and pursued something different. It sounds like his attention to detail and willing to master these little technical elements to be the best and having flawless technique like he would have made a great weightlifter in addition yeah. to that power and tenacity and work ethic character so it's like it's it's the character of the person if the character of the person you know if if they you know there's some people that are like that that they can their their intensity for something is that strong that they're a, they would be able to transition I, I agree with you and I, I think that that's that takes a special human being to do something like that to have that discipline and and to and to say you know what I'm going to take I'm going to take this seriously which is which is always awesome yeah 
And, you know, I'm sure we talked about it, you know, this is another reason why this workout is so technical, you know, at your gym, you know, we, we weren't really using barbells in these conditioning workouts. So we had to use dumbbells. This was about the most technical of a workout that we could have done at the time with the equipment available, you know, on, as far as like a gymnastics movement, you know, that really focuses on lower body with a pistol and everything that's required from it. And also all of the work that you would have to put in to having good pistols and oh my that, God. to lead into getting more success on this workout, not to mention the technique needed on a dumbbell squat snatch. And it might be different on one arm than the other, right? You might be able to get it up overhead on your right arm, but your left arm might be your weak point and your, your elbows bending and you, you can barely do it. And then there's double unders, of course, people can do double unders, but being able to do double unders under the type of fatigue that's going to build up in this workout, especially in your legs is, is going to be difficult. So I feel like this is a, a good matchup. And, and right. So the other thing is, as I should mention, most fighters move up in weight because they can't, they, you know, the term would be eating yourself out of a championship. This guy was at that weight class, the lowest weight class, I think for over a decade. To have the discipline to stay at that weight. And and, and he was never, he always showed up um, at, at the weight that was required. I mean, it, it, it just, uh, his character, I think, it, there's more that's going on with the man himself than just having you know, every gift given to him, um, for, for doing the sport. It, uh, it's discipline, just straight up discipline, which, yeah. you know, as, as you know, as a coach, you know, it's tough. <laughs> it, it, it is tough. You know, I mean, on, on all fronts, not every athlete that comes in has that type of discipline. Certainly maybe not that, I mean, that's, that's almost an inhuman level of discipline. It, it is that, that he right. has, but it's, um, but you also have to have discipline as a coach, you know, to, um, place your bets and, and realize that this is going to be a process and you can only push people so far in the given moment. And you have to have a long game with each individual athlete and trying to build up their, their discipline, you know, so you're trying to build up another person's discipline, um, versus them already having it. So it's a whole, it's, it's a very interesting topic. Mm. Yeah, you you've got to know when to uh, when to push, when to not with with someone. You know, everyone that walks to the gym, we could only wish could, <laughs> could be Ricardo Lopez. <laughs> yeah, well, he's certainly you know. I, I guess it starts with having good role models, and I think mm. anyone listening would, if if they were to, you know, research. Lopez and read about him, they'd probably be inspired by his story. And I, I, I guess maybe that's the, a first step in being disciplined and wanting something so bad and then working for it is being inspired in the first place. So maybe that's someone else's story. Maybe it's your circumstance. You know, like, I don't know. I know there's certainly athletes around the world who are trying to change their lives and get out of certain economic situations or take care of their family. And that is inspiration for their discipline and it keeps them on task and keeps them fighting for their goals. So maybe it just, 
you can spark something just by hearing a story like this about about this guy. So I think that's a perfect segue into uh, Manos de Espediedra. Yes. Sorry. So, uh, do the translation for us. If you have any, if you have any, if you have any uh, Latino listeners, and I totally chopped that up. I apologize. <laughs> that's all right. So uh, Manos de Piedra, maybe I just butchered it too. Uh, this workout is in tribute to Roberto Duran. And the translation is, I know I've messed this up in the past, Hands of Stone. Yes, that's correct. Yep, Hands of Stone in Spanish. And this workout is a Tabata workout. And it will you will understand why it's called Hands of Stone in a second. But the uh, Here it's we a three-part name. Huh? Here we go with the nicknames again. Yep. Uh, we've got a three-part workout, a full Tabata, 20 seconds of work, followed by 10 seconds of rest, done for eight rounds. You're going to start off by doing a full Tabata of hang dumbbell squat cleans with a 35 pounds uh, per hand for guys, 25 for ladies, because it's meant to be done fast. It's meant to be done unbroken, going for the full 20 seconds. Then you're going to rest a minute. Then you'll do a full Tabata of lateral burpees jumping over the dumbbell. And then you will rest a minute. And then you'll do the hang clean uh, Tabata again for a second time. And by the time you get there, of course, you're fatigued. You're winded from the burpees. You're mentally drained a little bit. And now you have to pick up and hold on to those, those stones again. And you have hands of stones now and try to match your clean score from the first time. And that's yeah, it. I remember this route. This was tough. Did you it go 35? I, I remember. Well, I, I, I don't think I did that. And I, and I remember um, me doing this and uh, Coach Scott Botto, uh yelling at me for probably looking at the, the Tabata clock and stopping. <laughs> A little, not not let, not working the full twenty seconds. Well, you see, you know uh, that's a pet uh, peeve of mine. On if you're doing yeah. a Tabata, you should be moving and trying to get reps for the full twenty seconds. If you stop at fifteen seconds, then you're doing fifteen seconds on, fifteen seconds off. That's mm. not what was prescribed. So you know, you know. I think I probably wrote that in the program notes to really push people and encourage people to go the whole. 20 seconds. I think at one point I suggested having people face away from the clock. That way the beep on the clock is what tells them to start and stop. Right. And that's why I remember Scott yelling at me for turning around and keep looking. <laughs> to keep <Yeah>. looking. <laughs> Caleb, if you're turning around yeah, and looking at the clock, you're not doing burpees or hang squawklings. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, so tell Grant, us about Roberto so Duran. He was um, <clears throat> again. I didn't start watching boxing until the the early nineties. Roberto Duran's prime years were uh, actually in the late seventies and early eighties, uh, very early eighties. Um, he came from from Panama. He. Uh, was extreme living in extreme poverty 
his whole his whole life uh, somehow found the gym, got in got into boxing, um, and became the lightweight champion of the world. It is considered by many the greatest lightweight champion that has that has ever lived. Um, uh, extreme poverty. Um, the the story behind him is just is just amazing. Um, and he had this he had this um, I he had this type of attitude uh, with him, but it was it was this macho machoism uh, attitude that he carried with him. Um, and everybody he hit in the lightweight division, he knocked out. Uh, and so that's why they named him Hand, Hands of Stone, because everybody he hit would would get get knocked out in the lightweight division. He beat a prime uh, Sugar Ray Leonard as a welterweight. Uh, the rematch, you know, the, the famous the famous no mas. But I watched him in his, you know, he was in his early 40s, late 30s. Uh, when I was growing up watching him well past his prime. Uh, but he was in there with, you know, good contenders at, at you know, fighting guys 20 years younger than him and, and being able to, you know, keep up with them no problem. There wasn't an issue for him at all. Um, you know, and, and in some cases, winning some, some of these matches. Um, yeah, I'm seeing he... He competed from 1968 to 2001. I mean, that's he's spanning so many different eras of of the sport. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, he fought all of the top welterweights in the 80s. Um, he fought Marvin Hagler. Um, some some people think he fight against Hagler. Um, some people don't. Um, but he went a full 15 rounds with Hagler. He went uh, three rounds with Tommy Hearns. He got knocked out uh, by Tommy Hearns. Um, he fought uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, beat Leonard, uh, lost to Leonard on the rematch. I think I think his his best years were as a lightweight. And I, I they say the boxing historians and the the boxing writers of the past have said that he he was without a question the greatest lightweight of of all time. Uh, but, but a story of just coming out of extreme poverty and over and overcoming to get to where he was, uh, in itself. And is an absolutely, it's an amazing story. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about him is that he, he would win these large purses of money and he would go to Panama and just walk down the street, giving, giving his money away to the poor. Um, he was very conscientious of uh, Panama and their their. It was a poverty-stricken era, uh, area area, and he was very conscientious of that and did very very good things with uh, uh, with poverty, um, which you know sometimes you, you don't hear an athlete doing. But um, and that was that he, that wasn't said much, and that didn't come out till till a little bit later. Uh, later on, but he did quite a bit of uh, humanitarian work in in Panama, and it it just kind of shows some of his character too. Like he's not like out there doing photo ops of him handing out this money. 
he's just mm -hmm. going and taking care of people, you know, because he knows what it's like and he comes from where they are, you know. Mm. There, there was, there was a fighter that he fought uh, that actually his first loss uh, as a, as a lightweight. He did lose as a lightweight uh, in the rematch. Uh, he beat this guy, this guy soundly. Um, later on in in this. I can't remember the man's name. Esteban de Jesus, I think his name was. Uh, he ended up getting AIDS, and and this was a time where you couldn't walk in if you had if you had AIDS, it was you know you were going to catch it, and it, everybody was afraid of it. And he went to the hospital uh, and and just sat next down to the that sat next down to him, um, really just. Uh, you know, put his arms around him as a brother, uh, which was just unheard of. You you weren't you weren't allowed to be in a room at that time with people that are sick, and um, you know that was that was his character. But at the same time, when you were stepping in the ring with him, he was an absolute—he was a madman. He was insane, um, but he had this this other beautiful side to him, which which in itself. Uh, is, is an awesome story and now and now if you see him he looks like like he couldn't hurt a fly he's like he's like yeah. a, you know that really old you know kind of old guy that like this guy was a this guy was one of the greatest fighters of all time there's no way well it's um it, uh, I'm, I'm seeing here that they uh they made a movie about his life called hands of stone came out in 2016 and looks like robert de niro's in it uh, that might be an interesting watch. Might need to see if I can find that on Netflix or uh, or Prime or something like that. It's pretty good. Um, Robert De Niro oh, is you saw it. Yep, is Ray Arcel, which is um, as pure coat for coaches, um, just to learn about Ray Arcel um, is is a good read. Uh, he was one of the he he had the two greatest lightweight champions of all time, Benny Leonard. Uh, Benny the Ghetto Leonard and Roberto Duran. He trained them both, and he he was a phenomenal trainer. Uh, he brought Duran to where he was he was at. But yeah, that's a good movie. No, I'm gonna definitely check that out. Well, Caleb, we've talked about so much. I think we're coming up on maybe close to two hours, and Joanna's oh texting gosh. me wondering where I'm at. <laughs> oh, it's nine thirty. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's nine thirty. I can't believe it's nine thirty already. But um, no, it's been great. I, I, we have so many other workouts that we can talk about, and also learn some more of this boxing lore. You know, for some of these amazing athletes, uh, I'm definitely gonna try to find that movie. I feel like that'd be a fun one to watch. Uh, Hands of Stone. Uh, but any uh, any closing thoughts on anything that we've talked about so far? Uh, boxing movies, real quick. Um good ones um, now that you're talking about boxing movies there is there is there's one called the champ from the 70s it's um that it's got i can't remember his angela angela uh, jolie's father I, I forgot his name he's the boxer in it that's that's it's called the champ if you ever get a chance to watch that watch watch that one they so the the scientific community dubbed it the saddest movie of all time 
and that if you don't show emotion at the end of the movie, you lack empathy, you might be a serial killer. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, called, called the champ. The 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 champ. Yeah. Yep. No other boxing movies. Oh, there's one on Vinny Pazienza that came out a couple years ago. That it's called Let It Bleed. That was pretty good. Um, there's another one with Mark Wahlberg in it. Um, these are all true true boxers. Um, Is that the one called The Fighter? The Fighter. That one. That one. I I, I really liked. I thought that that I heard was a lot really about that good. one. Yeah, that's well, a good one. Uh, you know, yeah, you know what we need to do, Caleb. Yeah. You know what we need to do. All right, I'm going to add this to the list. We're going to do a podcast where we talk about boxing movies and the training in it, the fighting in it, how accurate it is, and also the stories maybe of the people that are depicted in them. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, because it started with it started with um, Sylvester Stallone, and he really changed. He changed the face of boxing movies uh, and, and how they were uh, filmed, viewed, and looked and looked at. Um, he, Rocky really changed the game. But yeah, that's for a different. That's for another episode. Yeah, no, let's let's do it. And you need to watch Rocky Three by the time we do that. <laughs> like, and I, I told totally well. We we need to just binge watch Rocky the whole series. And I'll admit, I haven't seen uh, Creed Two. And I think it was good. Creed. It was good. I liked it. Yeah, I need to get updated on Creed. I mean, no, no big surprises there, you know. But it was good. You know, it's not like uh, we're watching anything, you know, anything different out of the storyline that we haven't already seen. Uh, It was, it's just good. It's a good twist on it. Now, one last question I have for you before we head on out. Uh, I did notice on Roberto Duran's uh wikipedia page here that one of his listed nicknames is rocky uh was that possibly given to him before the movie and is that are the names from rocky kind of off limits uh, in terms of nicknames how does that work out yeah i don't know i didn't know that he that was his nickname rocky um you know different boxers will get different names as they so uh floyd Mayweather used to be pretty boy Floyd. Uh, and then once he bought himself out of, um, I think it was top ranks contract and dictated money on his, you know, money making on his own terms, he changed his to Floyd Money Mayweather. Um, so uh, Rocky came from, you know, Rocky Marciano. Um, for, you know, uh, that was really there's there's Rocky Graziano. That's another uh, famous uh, Italian fighter, and you have Rocky Marciano. Those two, and I think Rocky just uh, he played off that um, off that name, and he did it, he did it well. You know he he knew he could get a majority of Americans to oh I know I know Rocky Marciano. You know yeah it you the name the name you know the name. So uh, yeah, I th- I don't know. There's a few fighters out there named Rocky. Not 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 many, but uh, there's there's a few. Well, that makes that makes sense. That was just something that popped in my head. I, I was wondering about that. If it's like, uh, you know, if it's just not a cool thing to do, like you wouldn't call yourself Apollo or, you know, 
yeah clubber lang or, or you know anything like that. you wouldn't take those names from the movies but the rocky one makes makes sense yeah sugar show sugar um sugar ray robinson you know for, for ray leonard to have taken sugar ray it was if, if you're going to take sugar there's the sugar shane mosley too and put that in the front you you have better be the uh, there's only one sugar ray robinson uh and you have better be phenomenal if you're going to put sugar in front in front of your name so i think that one is off limits uh sugar ray leonard he took it and he did a good job he did a good job with it there's not too many other guys that uh that should be walking around saying that <laughs> yeah that <laughs> you, know, you gotta be inventive you gotta come up with your own stuff yeah that seems gutsy and definitely taboo to take you know uh, a hall of famer legends nickname especially yeah. if you're not going to be on that level that definitely like you would never call yourself the greatest you know no matter how inflated your ego and stuff was because like everyone's gonna laugh at you and be like you are no muhammad ali you know yeah no no there's no way i mean that's you like you said you got to have a huge ego to be saying that awesome i don't i don't want anyone getting mad at you so you better uh you better get me off here. All right. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people follow you and follow your gym? You know, uh, pl plug the gym a little bit, you know, plug your website, all that stuff. Minor Combat uh, Facebook. Uh, and I'm also going to send you a link from one of the boxing uh, boxing clubs on Rochester, Coach Dom. Um there, there is a movement right now for gyms, uh, all gyms, small gyms, um, and they're getting together to, to try to do something. Um, I know he just had to shut his doors, Coach Dom on Rochester. I don't know if he's going to be able to reopen, uh, which is amazing uh, that that's, that's actually happening. Um, every time I'm there, the place, the place is packed. And I know that he had to get a grant from the state to stay open. Um, uh, and he was looking for another one. So this is a common thing that's going on right now. I'll send you the link that was sent to me from his club. Um, and I, I watched a few minutes of it. So there is a, there's a nice little underground movement thing happening. Um, they're trying to save the gym? Gyms, not just, not just him, but yeah, I mean, uh, I just is read. there anything going on where people can maybe support that gym, you know, uh, like like donate or anything like that? Is, is he doing anything like that? Yeah, I think he's doing I think he's doing uh, donations. And I think he's, you know, selling what he can to grow, um, you know, to keep to keep it to, to keep it going. Um, but it's now we're now looking at 30 percent that this this data came out three months ago, we were looking at 30% of small gyms not ever returning. It's a lot. Yeah. Who knows where we're going to be in six months. Hopefully still doing awesome benchmark workouts and making yeah. people fitter, making people happier, making people more well off mentally, you know, uh, and hopefully the need and realization that what we're doing is necessary in order to combat sickness and and you know of all of all different types so hopefully yeah. that, that realization will happen with the powers that be and 
we will be essential and we'll be able to keep doing what we do. And I think, I think the, I think these smaller gyms are like, um, you know, I, I've always compared boxing to punk rock and same thing with, with, uh, CrossFit. They're kind of like the punk rock red, red, redheaded stepchild of sports. Um, you know, and what might be good, you know, not everybody is made to be in certain type of sports. Some people make great boxers, other people make great, you know, whatever, whatever other sport is out there. Um, for these small gyms to be closing at this rate, it's not, it's not good, you know, cause we're only going to have shitty big box gyms with shitty televisions to look at. And, you know, <laughs> a yeah, lot of gonna, other you're going to lose the gyms that produce your you know your you know your your people with the character you know like like ricardo lopez and and other types right. of people you need those types of gyms so definitely mm -hmm. send me the the information i'll, I'll post it in the show notes uh, yeah for anyone to take a look at and join the cause and help out and if, if you find any information on that gym particular you know, that he's doing for like a fundraiser or something just to keep the doors open and keep training people, send me that too. And I'll put that in the show notes. We'll do. Awesome. Alrighty, well, sir. Thank Caleb, you. Thank you for I coming on. Uh, make sure you head on to Instagram and follow minor combat fitness on Instagram. They'll, they'll also be tagged in the show notes here. Follow the barbell strikes back. Follow me, James A. McDermott, Caleb, wait, thank wait, you so wait, much for coming James. on. Wait, wait, wait. James the Mighty Adam McDermott. You got it. That's yes. your new Nick Adam. There, there we go. I need to I need to update my my Instagram page and people are going to be wondering what the hell is going on. <laughs> Who's this Mighty Adam? Yeah. Uh, All right. Later, All right. Caleb. See you later, buddy.